We can talk about anything you want As Jake Flaunts is ignorant Welcome to Jake Flaunts is Ignorance. This is episode number 41. So, uh, my father and mother and brother and I went to Scotland. We went for a clan reunion, a Hanna clan family reunion. And did a bunch of tourism things. And so this episode has uh, several different snippets. There's kind of three parts here. Uh, the first part is just on airplanes on the way there. The second part is when we're kind of in the middle of our trip. And the third part is after we were in Belfast and we're exploring um, tourism of the Troubles. So there's some religion talking here and there's a lot of politics talking here and there's the Troubles in uh, Northern Ireland around the Belfast region and all kinds of interesting thoughts. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Mister, where, where are we heading? Well, sir. Where, where are we? We are now in Chicago here. International Airport, and in about an hour and a half, we're going to take off and head for London. What are we doing in London? <laughs> well, many were laying over so we can fly into Glasgow, Scotland. What's in Glasgow? <laughs> oh my gosh, I've been researching stuff for weeks. There, there are so Oh, did you say in Glasgow? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there are, there's about a dozen things that I found of interest in, both in Glasgow and in Edinburgh, uh, as well as the area we're going to be visiting with the NA reunion in the southern part of Scotland. And then some really cool stuff, and when you get over to Ireland and Belgrade and in... Belfast? Or, yeah, excuse me, <laughs> Belfast and Dublin. Those places have some really cool things to sounds like to do. So that's on the that's on the agenda. Maybe we're gonna have to take a family boot or something. I was impressed by how many books you had of tourism. Yeah. In that area, <laughs> so I don't know how much of that stuff you brought with you, but it looked like you had been doing some serious research. I have. Well, kind of the synopsis of it I have in the like a four-page handout, but then I actually brought the books too, so they have the maps and the, all the other info about. Hours and where's the cheap food and the expensive food and all that stuff. So, oh, you did bring the books. I did bring those books. Three, oh, okay. three of them actually. Yeah. But not the so Hannah. about this thick. Not the Hannah Sorba thing because I didn't think that it added much to the occasion. I've got a bunch of Hannah genealogy stuff to tell you about the Hannah ancestry, yeah. and then our specific family thing, and then kind of a little crib sheet that has a. A shortened version of that that you can just kind of carry out in your pocket so when you're at the reunion they say well which of the Hannahs are you involved with well you can say well Alexander is the one that came to Ireland and then Thomas is the one who came to the United States and has the has the birth dates and years and all that stuff so, well crib sheet so that, that book that you've got the Hannah clan of yeah. Scotland or whatever yeah Sorbet Hannah, Hannahs of Sorbet you, you, it's two inches thick it is of all Hannahs 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 right and we're not in that. I didn't see it. <laughs> oh, okay. So, <laughs> so they must mention thousands of people in there, but You're not right. our people. Like not our whole people. Whole different, whole different branches. But the but the reunion that we're going to, 
or did we track into there or well yeah did you not yeah did they not list like a bunch of genealogy well to, tra- to trace like yeah. the, like the website just says hey look if your last name is any of these <laughs> feel free to show up that's what it says right so it's a little tricky because the genealogist Keith Hanna sent me this information and it listed about 12 names uh, that might be a connectivity and there's one Hugh Hanna which it would be about a generation off of the Hugh Hanna that we're kind of tracking down through so it's possible that that's the link but we actually made some assumptions which <laughs> I'm not sure are 100% but uh, they're, they're pretty accurate I think how seriously has the reunion, have the reunion people assembled the genealogy? Are they like hardcore genealogists or not really? Well, the, the big old fat book is kind of a collection of a whole bunch of their work and everything. Uh, and Keith is the genealogist for the Hannay clan. Um, so he said oh, that he... Did he write that book or someone he no, knows wrote that book? I don't, I don't know about that. He didn't write it, but I'm not sure. So, I don't know, we'll see uh, when I get there. I'm kind of hoping maybe I'll run into somebody that's kind of traced their family origins to, to ours, but uh, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. To me, it chronologically, it fits together, but I'm not sure that we may have gone down a blind alley, blind alley somewhere. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm looking forward to the train ride. I think that's going to be really cool. Oh, my gosh, yeah, that's going to be really cool. And you'll get a second train ride. Lucky you. On yeah, apparently. <laughs> I have an impromptu. Three-hour <laughs> train ride. You'll see lots of pretty country. <laughs> yeah, twice. Right. Because i got to drive the Going and car. coming, right. And then train back and then... Uh... It'll be a different route, though, so you'll see different things, right? Because you're going to... Well, the, tra- the train line is, like, very coastal. Right. And the, it looked like the road goes inland more. Right. So, yeah. You want to allow a couple hours for all the sheep herders and uh, stuff like that, probably, if it says it's a, you know, 55 miles. It could take you two hours to do it because the roads are narrow and you have all kinds of impediments sometimes. Even that, the, 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 the like main that. one along the, well, no. along the coast there? No, the one along the coast. That, that's a train, though. Train route and a car route, both. Oh, no, I just I figured that main drag... South to Right, that place. <laughs> um, I figured that was a fairly highway-ish thing, but maybe oh, okay. not. with the train running alongside it. But, well, part, part, parts of it, yeah. But yeah. sometimes the train is way off in the yeah. sticks compared yeah. to where the road is. Right. Yeah. I think they laid the, the train route along before the road, or well, I don't know. I don't know anything. Yeah. But well, we're just going to learn a lot in a short amount of time. What's it called? The, the Southern Northern Highland? The, so the, the train route we're taking north out of... Mm-hmm. Out of... Uh, where are we going? What's the name well, of that's town? out of Glasgow. Yeah, okay, so Glasgow North. Got, yeah, it, it doesn't go all that far north. We're not really going to ever be in the Highlands. The Highlands are the northernmost part of... It's kind of like... Canada and the United States, you know, Canada's the northernmost part and the United States is the lower part. So we won't actually see the highlands. We're all, our, our family are what they call lowland Scots, and then they became Irish as well, so then the, the Scots-Irish, and that's a particular ethnic group 
which a lot of whom went uh, ended up in the Appalachians. And so all the things you hear about the Appalachians, uh, a lot of their culture, actually the music and uh, the Hatfield-McCoy conflicts, you know, that sort of stuff is, you know, patently Scottish-Irish, Scotch-Irish. And so, uh, so it's but, had quite an influence. Well, I thought the Highlands was referring to the fact that it's mountainous, not the fact that it's northernous. So, yeah, the mountains are north mostly. Right. But I thought as soon as you got northwest of Glasgow and you started hitting the mountains, what they call mountains, you know, the hills. Yeah. <laughs> right. But as soon as you start hitting those, I thought those were the those were the highlands. Like I thought, mm-hmm. oh, okay, that's highlands because yeah. now you're in the. Well, maybe our hills. train, yeah, maybe our little train thing goes through that's the what highlands. I'm yeah, perhaps yeah, yeah. I have, hope they that's call, right. They call it the highlands. Oh, do they? Oh, okay. I thought, yeah. okay. I thought it was just the northernmost part because I've always, you know, they, they make a distinction between the, the the highland clearance. That was a, that was a a time when the the northern uh, Scottish people were driven out. <laughs> And then they had the, the like the Irish clearance, which was when the Northern Irish were sort of driven out. Oh, pizza has arrived. Hey. So there's one pepperoni and red onion, which is not this one. This is chicken tomato. All right, chicken and tomato. There's the pepperoni, red onion, and this one is sausage. And there are three pizzas, each cut into four slices, which means everybody can have one sample of each type. Are you recording me? Wow. Just ahead, Brad. Hey, ladies, where are we going? We're going to London. Why? Because it's the next step to Scotland, Ireland. The Hannay Clan Reunion. So today, June 1st, 2023, we're going to take a bus to the Giant's Causeway. And... The Rough Guide to Ireland says this about the Giant's Causeway. Ever since 1693, when the Royal Society first published it as one of the great wonders of the natural world, the Giant's Causeway has been a major tourist attraction. The highly romanticized pictures of the polygonal basalt rock formations by the Dubliner Susanna Drury, which circulated throughout Europe in the 18th century, did much to popularize the causeway. Two of them are now on show in the Ulster Museum in Belfast. Not everyone was impressed, though. A disappointed William Thackeray commented, I've traveled 150 miles to see that. And he especially disliked the tourist promotion of the causeway, claiming in 1842 that, quote, the traveler no sooner issues from the inn by a back door when he is informed which will lead straight to the causeway than the guides pounce upon him, <laughs> end quote. Although the tourist hype is today less overtly mercenary, the causeway, now managed by the National Trust, still attracts hundreds of thousands of visitors annually. Indeed, the site can get crushingly busy, which can really put a damper on the visit, so you do well to visit as early or as late in the day as you can. For sheer otherworldliness, the causeway can't be beaten, made up of an estimated 37,000 black basalt columns, each a polygon, Hexagons are by far the most common, with, with Pentagon second, though sometimes the columns have as many as ten sides. The site is the result of a subterranean explosion some 60 million years ago that stretched from the causeway to Rathlin and beyond to Islay, Staffa, and the Mole in Scotland. A huge mass of molten basalt was spewed onto the surface, which on cooling solidified into what are essentially crystals. 
<clears throat> like a volcanic explosion, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. what we're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. According to mythology, the giant of the causeway was Ulster warrior Fionn McCumhalai, also known as Finn McCool, and two legends of Fionn's exploits provide an entertaining alternative to geological explanations of the causeway's origins. <laughs> In one, Fionn became besotted with a woman giant who resided on the Scottish island of Staffa where the causeway's fault line resurfaces and constructed a highway across the sea by which he could travel to woo her. An alternate version of the story suggests that Fionn built the causeway in order to head over to Scotland to give another giant a good kicking, but when confronted by the enemy's superior size, fled back to Ireland and hid in an extra-large cot which, had which he'd persuaded his wife to construct. When the pursuing Scottish giant arrived, he took just a glance at the sheer size of Fionn's supposedly supposed baby and fled back to Scotland. <laughs> All right. So, depending on whether you want a scientific geological explanation or a much more exciting narrative of the imagination. He came over to defeat the giant but saw his baby and fled back to Scotland? Is that what you read? Yeah, well, it sounds like he had his wife make a cot, uh, which confused the other giant, making him think that, oh my gosh, if he had a baby that big, this guy, this giant must be really giant. He must be Titanic. And then he fled back to Scotland. That's the that's the story, I guess. There were giants on both sides of the Yeah, yeah, there were giants. On, and one of them tricked the other, the Scottish giant. Yeah. Ex ex exactly. Oh, An alternative version of the story suggests that Fionn built the causeway in order to head over to Scotland to give another giant a good kicking, but when confronted by his enemy's superior size, fled back to Ireland and hid in an extra-large cot, which he'd persuaded his wife to construct. When the pursuing Scots giant arrived, he took just a glance at the sheer size of Fionn's supposed, quote, baby, and fled back to Scotland. And these giants aren't like <clears throat> big humans. These giants are mythological creatures that aren't human at all, right? I guess and so. I think that's the idea, yeah. I'm sure we will have uh, illustrative <laughs> depictions for us to enjoy yeah. uh, as we go through the day. <laughs> There's several things kind of to see and do on the way there, so on the north coast of Antrim. So I don't know what this tour does. I haven't seen any uh, description of what all we may be encountering. Like we go from 9.45 to 4 o'clock, right? So can't be all driving. Uh, it'll so, be an adventure. So yesterday we started a conversation, I think, about submitting yourself to the will of a king versus submitting yourself to the will of God, as yeah. you understand it. Yeah, and I said, oh, they're pretty much the same thing. And you said, they're not at all the same thing. What are you talking about? And then yeah. something happened, and that conversation ended. Yeah, what, what was that? What? You really tripped my trigger there, because I? yeah, because <laughs> I do not in any way consider myself subject to the divine. I consider myself actually a manifestation of the divine. Well, because you believe you have a personal relationship with God. And no one can, no one, no other human being can tell you what God wants for you, correct? Or do you think other human beings can tell you what God wants for you? 
I think I can learn something about what God might want for me from other people, but I, I guess the whole thing, I, I have a real problem with the whole idea like of the, the crown, as you, as you know, you know, the whole royalty thing I think is just ludicrous, really. So, so I don't think of myself as a subject to God. I think, I think, uh, I think of myself as uh, in relationship with God, I, I think of you know as I'm working on my theology, I actually think of myself as a manifestation of God, and so it's to me there's Damn, listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, there's not a big distinction like there's me over here and then there's God over here. That's where a lot of the problems I think you deal with uh, in relationship to God come from, is because you think there's a God out there somewhere. Who's using to? I think there's a God out there somewhere. Well, well, if if you were to, if there were a God, what you have rejected is the ver- version of a God out there somewhere who either is in control or isn't in control. But if he if he is in control, if he is <laughs> if he is in control, you're ticked off because he's allowing all this suffering to go on. And if he isn't in control, what the heck good is he anyway? So forget it. I'm not messing around with no God like that one way or another. Either of those options. So screw him. That is correct. That is exactly how That's right. That so. is that's, that's, that's good that you can state my take on it. Well, yeah. So here's my take on all that. My take on all that is that way back when there was this thing called the Big Bang. And this Big Bang is this energetic force which has been moving forward for billions of years and has now manifested itself as the cosmos as we now know it and the earth in particular and you and I in more particular. And so I think that that energetic force is inseparable from us. You know, it really is us. We are it. It is, it is we. When God said, when God said to Moses, when he said, well, I tell people, who sent me? The, the account says that God said, "Just tell them I am has sent you. I am." And as I explore what that means, I am. I keep thinking, well, yeah, I am too. <laughs> so, so, so it sounds kind of funny to put into words, but but I think there's an inseparability between you know you you have a God, your view of God, if there was even such a God, would be out there somewhere, and my view of God which I believe uh, there is, uh, is just this energetic force which is evolving and becoming ever more complex, ever more beautiful, ever more awesome, and all that stuff, and it's ongoing, and I don't think that God even knows what the future brings. I think it's still unfolding. It's still expanding and, and creating new and novel expressions. I don't see, in my head, any difference between subjugating yourself to royalty or subjugating yourself to mechanisms of capitalism or subjugating yourself to any earthly authority that tells you what there is a God out there and this is what he wants you to do and this is how you need to live your life because I said so and because my interpretation of this book says so or whatever like all of those things to me sound like the same thing you're either subjugating yourself in the name of the crown or in the name of God 
or in the name of the almighty dollar, or in the name of the U.S. military, or in the name of the, the British military under, you know, the crown, or in the name of, you know, whatever, <laughs> like what, whatever it is that you think um, is right, regardless of what you think, all of that, to me, is the same bucket of stuff. When when we look at the the Orange Museum yesterday, mm-hmm. and we look at a feverish devotion to a line of human beings, right? Because those, I don't even know why. Like I don't even understand. You got to back way up and explain it. Because I was staring at the the beginning, what they considered the beginning of the Orange Revolution or whatever, yeah. and I took pictures of all of the paragraphs of stuff on the wall because I, I couldn't process it and I wanted I took pictures of it so I could try to figure it out later, like try to right. understand what's going on. Anyway, I don't I don't see the difference in <clears throat> all of those things um at all like at all. Like I don't I don't I don't get it. And you when I was trying to say that yesterday, you rejected that completely <laughs> and I didn't understand why we're not on the same page. Because everything you said this just now sounds like we are on the same page in my brain so I'm, maybe I'm just missing something yeah well a couple thoughts one is that I think in our everyday life we subjugate ourselves to our culture we subjugate ourselves to the to the wishes or needs of other people we subjugate ourselves to all kinds of things it just to, just to get through the day we mm-hmm. subjugate ourselves to the we, to the traffic uh, no, to traffic laws and stuff like that we voluntarily choose to cooperate with these systems because right. it so makes how, our lives easier yeah that's that's different voluntarily choosing to do something is totally different from to subjugating yourself in my mind in my mind one of them is saying that's the authority they're right Mm-hmm. So, to the extent that I'm doing what they want me to do, that's that I'm doing the right thing. The other one is, I'm choosing to cooperate with this traffic system, with this right. social system, with this social con- with this social whatever. I'm choosing to cooperate because it makes their lives better, it makes my life better, everybody's better. Why wouldn't I do that? Of course, we're cooperative creatures. Yeah. When, but but when to me, those use, are two different things. When you use the term subjugation, is there also a... Um, subtle recognition that if you refuse subjugation to whatever those entities are, that there's punishment involved, that that the entity which is seeking subjugation accompanies the refusal of subjugation with punishment. Yeah, that's that's what makes it Yeah. That's what makes it real. If there are no consequences if there are no consequences for not behaving in accordance with the authority, then it does it really exist? Well, barely. <laughs> because you can just change your mind whenever. Yeah. And if you can just change your mind whenever, if, if the system has no teeth, like no teeth at all, right. then I don't consider that subjugation. You're, you're just going along. Right. But just because you're, choo- you're choosing to do that. There are no consequences to choosing the opposite. Right. And, and so that... You know that that so I so I don't understand like the mentality. I I understand I understand psychologically the mentality of I'm on Team Clan Han A, and if that means we're going to war, we're going to war. (laughs) You know, I understand that psychologically, but I I, but strategically, if you're trying to decide how you want to live your life, that 
road, that infinite number of roads you could go down, you know, othering people that aren't in your clique or clan or social group or coffee group or book club or anything. Like, it yeah. doesn't matter what it is. <clears throat> but, I mean, <laughs> so when you join the military or you you take a civil service job and you swear and attest to uphold the laws of the blah, 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 or you become a police officer or you whatever, you're signing into a set of things, set of principles, right? Like legal principles or whatever. Okay, we got to go to the trans All right. Bye. Clicker, clicker. Why won't it stop recording? It was incredible. Okay, so let me get my little note card here. Recorded this, that, and the other thing. Yay, applause. Let's hear it for Dad, folks. <laughs> so you want me to do a recap? So, okay. So we meet a guy, and he's like, hey, let's go on a 45-minute tour. And what we did is we drove not far from here. It's just like a mile up towards northwest Belfast. And he stops for the first set of murals, and he lets us out. And we talk, he, you know, he walks us through a bunch of stuff and shows us whatever and shows us that here's the, <clears throat> here's the neighborhoods where all the trouble started in, the ni- in 1976. And here's what the local police force did, and here's all the, the military and my family got firebombed basically almost out of our house when the local police force rolled in so he is he was raised um roman catholic and he's on one side of the division and the loyalist protestants loyalist to the crown england uk right but this is this is all before no, wait, Ireland, Northern Ireland split in 1912, right? So this is 1976, so this is when the violence erupted again after the division of the two countries. So, so far, Belfast wasn't split up. They didn't have the big peace walls up. They didn't have bombings going on on both sides and all this stuff. But anyway, so we go up there, and through a series of stops, he's showing us all of the physical infrastructure that's still in place today. These gates that are going to be closed at 7 p.m. tonight, where there's a gate on this side and there's a gate on this side, and there's like a DMZ where no one's there after 7 p.m. No one's in that barbed wire section. By the tree? Yep. Um, They're just cameras. So the police force that is on both sides, apparently the police force that rolls around in these little armored cars in that area that are bulletproof, they roll around and for like petty crimes, both sides apparently are happy to call that local police force today in 2023. Um, And those police show up, same police, both sides. And officially everything is disarmed since the 90s, you know, the Good Friday Agreement and all this stuff. Um, everybody's disarmed, the guns are all illegal, but the organized crime of the region through the the UVF, the Ulster Volunteer Force, which is the uh, northern, is the the northern Ireland, well, yeah, so we, (laughs) the loyalist side. No, so the IRA and the UVF are on different sides of this problem for decades, right? And they're, they're both officially they don't exist officially. 
but there's murals and there are young people on both sides that are just looking to brawl and he says that they don't even jimmy says they don't even know really what they're fighting about because they don't really understand the history of what happened they just are young people disillusioned with whatever that are looking for a fight and the reason that tonight again tonight all those gates are going to close is just to keep them from having an organizing point where they meet to fight basically um, so that they're not stabbing each other or killing each other or firebombing or throwing rocks or whatever. It's just safer for everyone in both communities if those gates just close at 7 p.m. So they do, you know, well, tonight, <laughs> every night. All Anyway, so we do this tour, and he's talking through all the, the history of all these, you know, heroes on both sides, and you see, so I'm, my personal politics very much align with the, southern ireland ira in air quotes uh stance where they're pro lgbtq and they're really worried about how israel is treating palestine and they're really worried about apartheid in south africa not being fair to black people and they're you know they're very you know what in america we would call lefty socialist you know politics of the oppressed masses and systems of oppression blah 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 blah. would be my take on that whole so anyway so so the murals on the one side are 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 global and they're anti-israel you know which is in in the if i had to pick a side i would be anti-israel i'm very worried that the palestinian people are in blah blah blah. anyway pro-palestinian might be a better way to put it right but the way to be pro-palestinian is to resist (laughs) right you know and America's still dumping $30 billion a year or whatever at Israel. Anyway, that's just my personal... Okay, so then you cross the border, and suddenly it's all about King Charles, and it's all about, you know, loyalty to the crown, and it's British... And I'm literally across the border murals, but now it's loyalist... um, uh, Crown loyalist Northern Ireland... Big murals of Charles, Charles, you know, the new king of England. And and, uh, I took a picture that has at least, I would say, 50 Union Jack flags. They're all all in one image, you know, as I shot down the street. You know, so this is the, we're approaching the high time in July. There's some date in July. It's kind of like on the 4th of July, I guess, uh, for the British, where they really celebrate. Marching season. So there's 4,500, 4,500 marches, he said, every year. Right. <laughs> for several months, they just march like crazy, like constantly, four months out of the year, the nice months of the year, I guess. Yeah, celebrating their connections to Britain, the monarchy. Oh, yeah. They're and loyalists. And yeah. that's what that panel in the Orange Society exactly. is about. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're kind of the far right, I think, of that loyalism, you know. So, the, so now we're on that side. So <clears throat> the mural is now pro-Israel. It's, we will fight with you, Israel, because, you know, the Palestinians are rock- launching rockets at us, and that's bad, which it is. It is bad. I get it. But I'm I'm worried about the Palestinian people far more than, you know, pro-Israeli. Like, if you're blindly pro-Israeli, that's, you know, a different side of the politics of that specter. Anyway. We're only there for five minutes, and a guy walks up to us. Yeah, named Noel Large. Shakes our hand, and um, just You're an Irish walking? Yeah, just At an Irish point? guy. Kind of the end of our yeah. tour. Yeah, we're old, just out. Old guy. Yeah, our, our guide has let us say, hey, why don't you walk down there and take a few pictures of the Union Jacks? Literally, he said two minutes. Right, and come back. Well, this guy approached us. He has a walking stick, and he has the hat, and he's you know, looking very 
Irish. Uh, actually, he's wearing a blue and white shirt, which I thought was kind of interesting. But anyway, so it turns out he's with the uh, UVF, and he's killed scores of people during the during the Troubles. Incidentally, during the Troubles, he said that there were in the 1970s there were a thousand bombings a year uh, in Ireland. So this is cafes getting blown up and churches yeah, and I mean, schools and. It's, and his his own place, like where he grew up, uh, basically the whole area was decimated. But I guess his home was spared at the time. Yeah, our, our tour guide literally lives on the wall. He he pointed at it, yeah. and he said, "See that big tree over the wall? That's my house." So he lives on the wall, thirty foot separating wall. So when they finally had the peace accords, what they did was they granted amnesty to fighters on both sides. And so this guy who probably killed, I mean, literally killed scores of people, John. Jay looked him up on the internet, and he had a 375-year sentence that he would have been serving if it hadn't been for the peace accords. So he was let, let out, as were the people on the other side. Our, our tour guide was fought with the IRA, so I'm sure he didn't go into details, but I'm sure he killed people too. Uh, so basically they were all on the same side. It's interesting, he, he showed pictures of himself uh, like as at the very beginnings of the Troubles, and then a picture of himself six years later, and it doesn't even look like the same person, you know. Like he was uh, kind of youthful, exuberant innocence over here, and then six years later, kind of a hardened, uh, combative uh, kind of a guy. So it's kind of one of those DLC. It's interesting to me that one of the major things that he returned to several times was that. If they're ever going to have a, actually some kind of a united Ireland, like altogether united, they're going to have to integrate the schooling system. So right now, only seven and a half percent of the school children go to an integrated school. So ninety, uh, what's that? Ninety, ninety-two and a half percent of them attend either a Catholic school or a Protestant school. At which point, they have no contact with the with the other side. And he said it, it's not it's not mandated by law that it be that way, but the problem is that what, the way it works is that the schools which are integrated schools, they're they're like distanced away from, you know, like you, you have to, you, they're not like in the center of the population usually. They're sort of like fringe schools like out in suburbia. Well, then you got a transportation problem. You're going to walk by all these schools. You're going to have your kid walk two miles past several schools he could be going to to go to an integrated school. So 7.5%. He said that in the, he also said that there are only 10% of the marriages in Ireland are mixed marriages. So 90% of them are still a Catholic marriage a Catholic and a Protestant marriage a Protestant and that's just the way things are in, in, in life. So. so the guy on the right in that photo, that's our tour guide. And the guy on the left... They both of those guys were trying to kill each other in the seventies, but they knew each other, and I, I don't know if you'd say they're on friendly terms, but they're on conversational terms anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, so, you know, this was a yeah. a tense slash friendly conversation that they had. Yeah, is it tense? I mean, can you actually feel the tension? I could. Dad was playing peacemaker. I. I was amazed that Dad asked for a photo. I, I'm very defensive when I walk into situations where I don't know yeah. people. 
And Dad's like, oh, let's get a picture with the two of you. And they agreed, so well, <laughs> there you go. There's a series of photos. Earlier in the tour, we just accidentally ran into his daughter, who's quite a world traveler and, and all this. The driver's daughter. The driver's daughter. And so I said, hey, can I get, you know, she was really affable and very interesting. And so I said, hey, you got a picture of these two of you. So I thought, oh, well, take, I'll take a picture of these two guys. <laughs> I didn't know at the time that they actually were would have killed each other like so, like in the 19th. I'll take a picture of these Hatfields and McCoys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I ought to send them both the picture, you know. So what, <laughs> was, was there any conversation about what is their sense of the current tension what's what's the foundation of the current tension and what's the sense of whether or not that's a good thing to be living in well that's what's kind of a mixed review so there's ways in which he feels very optimistic because it's so much better than what he lived through like in his own lifetime he's seen so much improvement so in that sense i think he tends to be fairly sanguine but uh, but he defines it as better Yes, you know, it's definitely. Bit, it's better that we we who have differing views are not um, actively combatant with each other. Absolutely, because he's seen this, and he said several times, "I never want to see that for my mm-hmm. grandchildren and children yeah. and stuff like that." You know, he so he doesn't want to go, go back to chair? that. Nope. On the one hand, but on the other hand, he was candid to say that there's a lot of still a lot of unresolved tension and he, he identified three or four areas so it wasn't just sectarian you know like religious right. so that's part of it but it's also uh, political and that of course that brings the whole united kingdom britain thing in there and then it was also um, oh, economic you know so i think the better paying jobs around here probably for the most part go to people who are the majority uh, you know which would be the the uh, loyalist, the British loyalist, and so that sort of thing. Because British loyalists tend to be higher income, therefore tend to be uh, captains of industry, therefore tend to be in control of who gets hired and who doesn't. It used to literally be written in the law that you couldn't hire a Catholic. Right. That used to literally that be was the against law. the law. You couldn't marry a Catholic. You couldn't live here. You couldn't live in our subsidized housing at all if you were a Catholic. All of that stuff used to be in the law. Right. Until I forget the name of the thing that he said that changed that. On paper, it changed it, but does Bell it, for it agreement or something? Yeah. I, I don't know if it actually changed it. So, so how much of that is still going on? Even though on paper it's not supposed to be going on, they they don't know. But I would have thought that would have been the reverse. I would have thought it would have been you can't go, you can't marry if you're a Protestant. You can't do this or that. No, the the Protestants Protestant. have the power of the crown behind them, right. the UK crown. Here we are in Northern Ireland in Belfast. They're the, the top UK. dogs here. Oh, because of Anglicanism. Okay, because we switched from the state religion of Catholicism to Anglican Church of England. Well, yeah, that's part of it, yeah. But, I mean, more simply put, I think it's that like people hire like people, you know. So if you're the people that are that you went to school with, for instance, in your Protestant school, those are the people when you get in a position to hire people, you're going to go, oh, hey, there's my buddy Jack. Let's have him come over here and take the job. I imagine a lot of it's just informal. You know how that goes, you know. So, so it's not, it's not so an active. They did, they did get the laws changed on paper, right? So right. You, you move from a, <clears throat> a civil rights movement in America into 
oh, okay, yeah, you're technically equal, but now you have Jim Crow, right? So none of that was on paper, but it was right. still known by everyone, and everyone is still segregating. And yeah. to this day, they only have 10% intermarriage. It, it, they call it a mixed marriage. If you're Catholic and yep. you marry a Protestant or vice versa, they call that a mixed marriage, and they track the statistics, and there's only 10% of those ever happen here, right? So it's ex- still extremely... And then, like Dad was saying, kids are educated completely separately. Yes. So you are educated from kindergarten yeah. in the history of your side of the right. stuff. He said there's a book called The Dirty War, which he thinks does. I ask him what would be the best book if you just read one book about all this to make sense of it. He said he thought that presented the, the two sides of the uh, argument uh, quite well. So I'll probably get that. I'd like to understand a little bit more about what the heck went on here. This wall that went up, which is like a 30-foot wall right through the city. It was supposed to be there like for six months initially. It's been there for 53 years, and part of it's still functional. I mean, well, the wall's still there altogether, but part of it, they're still locking and unlocking it's still active the, every night. the gate, you know, just to keep these idiots from, you know. At, at the time, this was the most militarized zone in the 70s. This was briefly the most militarized, well, not briefly for seven years, the most militarized zone in the world on the planet except yeah. for Vietnam the Vietnam war was more militarized <laughs> yeah so but even the north south korea border which i thought we've had 80,000 troops there since the 40s i thought but i don't know anyway that's what he said it was a, it was there were tens of thousands of troops here yeah tens of thousands of british troops then you had all the loyalists on the one side all armed up you had 10 20,000 of them then you had 10 20,000 the, the separatists, if you will, <laughs> and then a whole bunch of other groups, you know, that just like Orangemen, I suppose, or whoever, you know, that just armed up. I mean, they, I, I, I was going to ask him what that total number was, and when you added all those together, it must have been a quarter of a million soldiers, it sounded like, <laughs> running around here all armed and dangerous. You know? And all in uniform? <laughs> well, most of them would have been in... Some. So they, they still have an incidence in organized crime, like last week, a guy, uh, he was running a taxi cab, and everybody knows who he is. He's the active leader of the UVF. Not officially, he won't say so, but everyone knows that he's the Ulster Volunteer Force guy. Anyway, last week he pistol whipped a guy over a fair. Like they just got in an argument, and he nailed him with the pistol. Yeah, I think it's even weirder than that. I think he was riding in the cab, and the guy was, you know, they're supposed to keep him entertained with stories or something, and he wasn't telling enough stories or something, and I think he pistol whipped him for that, maybe. Oh, I thought he owed him money for drugs, but anyway. Well, I don't know. So anyway. this stuff is still going on. Right. <laughs> now it's organized crime with the illegal guns, so it's all illegal. Like, you can't legally be a UVF. You can't legally organize. Like, they don't have, quote, freedom of speech, end quote, yeah. like theoretically we do, where we can organize and say anything as long as we're not inciting violence. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's, like, I can say the stupidest shit in the world in a group of my friends as long as we're not inciting violence. That's legal. We can say whatever we want to say. I think guns but, here, other than the police, are all illegal, aren't they? Is that the impression you got? Well, in the countryside, you can have shotguns for hunting, yeah. blah, 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 blah. We got that whole... Yeah. Or, or they have, they that, have some... Well, I don't know about Northern Ireland. I, we, we got all that information back in Scotland. Oh, that's right. So I don't, yeah. I don't know about I'm not sure what the, We didn't ask him about the gun, gun control. Uh, but he said that some of these criminal elements now, they have automatic and semi-automatic weapons and... So that's a problem. 
So yeah, I don't I don't know what to make of the fact that we just threw sixty pounds at a guy who may have killed a bunch of people, and we shook hands with a guy who was convicted three hundred and fifty yeah. years of Definitely prison. I, I don't even I assume he didn't even deny it. He's like, well, well you hell yeah. He told you he killed a bunch of people. No, no, no I don't think our the taxi. To us, he was just an old little Irish guy with a walking stick and hat. Was very interested in talking about who's doing tour, what they're saying, and who's embellishing. Talking mostly to our tour guide, and as soon as we drove away, our tour guide's like, uh, "That's that's that guy." So he was, you know, <laughs> that is literally the head of the. And then he said, "And I was the big deal in the IRA at the time." Right. So, but so, he didn't say, and I killed a bunch of people. Our, 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 our he, he driver didn't say, he didn't did say did that, not. but he didn't say he didn't either. So I'm, uh, I, I think it's safe to assume that he did. Yeah. So, so there's. How do you feel about that? How do you feel moral, about that? There's moral ambiguity. Well, I guess, <laughs> like I was mentioning when we were walking away from the tour, I, I, there's a way in which once once war is declared, you can have all the nice Geneva Conventions you want about, you know protecting civilian life and only use certain killing techniques and no chemical ones, whatever. It's all kind of a moot point because once the war is declared, there's really only two things that the people are out there on the front lines primarily care about. They, they, you know, they may care somewhat about other things, but primarily they care about getting home in one piece and getting home with their buddies in one piece. And whatever it takes to do that, I think, all the other things are niceties, but secondary. That's that's the nature of war. War is hell, and so I think that this this guy. I think. Well, when when he was talking about the the old man with the cane, <laughs> he mentioned that the reason that old man with the cane was kind of animated in his discussion was because he thought there were lots of these bus drivers, taxi drivers that were profiting off of the troubles that weren't part of the troubles. In his mind, unless you were part of the troubles, you shouldn't be profiting off of it, you know. And so I think that's why he's probably okay with, you know, talking with our bus bus driver because he was a participant, just like he was. Both of them were participants. Um, so I, I, I was telling Jay I don't feel like I'm in a position to judge, really, because... <laughs> I don't know what I would do under those circumstances. Had I been raised Protestant or Catholic in this setting, had I seen so many of my friends get killed and my, you know, my neighborhood raised uh, and so forth, um, what would you do? You know, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to be morally superior, or pretend to be, and say, well, I wouldn't do that no matter what. Well, I don't know. So there's there's a sense in which it starts off philosophical. And it degenerates to revenge. I'll kill you yeah, before you kill me. I don't care if war's been declared or not. If someone hurts my family, exactly. it's on. Right. Yeah, it's, it's revenge. It's a cycle of revenge. Yeah. That, and that's, of course, like Martin Luther King said, that's the downward spiral of violence. And and uh, if we don't all learn to live together, we're all going to die together, especially with nuclear weapons and uh, that sort of stuff. So... Yeah, I don't know. So I think about Grandpa in World War II, yeah. and he was over there trying like hell to kill the Japanese before they killed him, until his boat 
sank. Absolutely. Right? And trying to like stop. He was doing everything he could possibly do to kill the Japanese. Trying to stop the world from becoming Nazi Germany. He was going to die. Man, I'm not going to condemn him for that. He was just doing what he, what he well, was right. You know, it, it would be, there's no way to know, but it would be interesting to me to know how has the business now of the troubles, so like you guys were talking about, there's a sense in which the taxi tours of the the area that was the central troubles is perpetuating the retelling, 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 retelling of that history is in a way perpetuating it. Well, yes, yes and no. I mean, to some extent, for some people, they just may have a prurient interest in violence and whatever, and so they go and, oh, I want to see where someone got their brains blown out, you know. But I think in, in a larger context, it's educational. It's it's like it's, it's like sensitivity training or whatever. I mean, I, I definitely walked away from the whole thing thinking, yeah, here's a guy who was in the worst of the worst and did the worst of the worst, and yet today he can see that he doesn't want to go there himself, doesn't want his children or grandchildren to go there, and he's he feels like he's in some ways atoning for what he did, I think, by trying to explain to people, hey, <laughs> you know, he said at one point, you know, there's nothing, nothing glamorous about war. You know, people glamorize it or whatever, but there's, that's not what it is. It's something totally horrific, you know. So there's these layers that still exist. So there's the layer, layer of differing opinions about should we be loyal to the crown, should we not. Right, that's uh, a big one for a lot of people. Yeah, there's the layer of religious affiliation. Yep. Uh, who's more right about their representation of the, <laughs> the nature of the spiritual realm. Yeah, like he, the, like in terms of that, he mentioned that uh, some people think of the Pope as Satan, you know, basically, mm. you know, and the church is <laughs> an abomination kind of thing. Yeah. There's the layer of, you know, this, these horrible things were done to my <coughs> ancestors, therefore I'm going to avenge my ancestors. Yeah. It's um, a very... And probably economic layers about being the dispossessed, you know, yeah. for sure. Because they, they actually, when the Brits decided to colonize <laughs> through the reservations, the Northern Ireland, they basically just did a, a ethnic cleansing thing. If you didn't leave, you were killed. That was it. Hey, guess what? Free land, you know. So if you're Scotch and you're Presbyterian, or if you're Scotch and you're Protestant and English-speaking, Come on down, you know, claim your claim your land and so where's that leave all the indigenous people? Well, either dead or down in Southern Island, you know, where they can yeah. <laughs> exist. <laughs> yeah, so there's a huge it's very uh, multi layered, yeah. So did he did he talk at all about is is there a is there a peace force? Is there are there groups that are actively trying to build bridges and facilitate conversation and um, consider equities of various <laughs> kinds. And he didn't mention any of those that I recall, but we, we went by a number of uh, these 
murals are not all just about the conflict. Some of them are about peace. And so, so the most interesting was I had no idea this was the case. So we're driving along towards the end of the tour over on the other side, and here's a, a mural, a huge mural, with Frederick Douglass right in the center of it and Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King and whatever. And, and it turns out that um, Frederick Douglass left Boston and came to Belfast and started writing and doing stuff like mm. that. He actually, I, I don't know if he died here. I suppose he must have. So, I mean, that's really ironic <laughs> that he would end oh, up I in Belfast was, of all places. <laughs> I thought that was a different era. I thought Douglas was Civil War era. He I was. The Troubles was mid 1900s. Yeah, when I wasn't making a parallel there, I was just saying that's. I just didn't. Never occurred to me that Frederick Douglass, the black dude, <laughs> ended up in Ireland. You know, I mean, what's what's with that? You know, I got to research that a little bit. So I already picked up this huge mural. I got a picture of it. And I, I'd be curious to know how the how the mural phenomenon got started. You know, how did they? Well, first conceive of documenting this on the, literally on the... You are filled with questions to which we have no answers. Well, good on you. I'm glad you did that. Me too. That was uh, very, very uh, informative. Yeah, that was a little more authentic than I thought we were getting into. I thought it was just going to be some history of wonk, you know, that went to university or whatever. I had no idea that we were signed up with a guy whose family was involved and literally lives on the wall and all that stuff. And maybe I should have maybe I should have thought that the tour guides would be um locals. Like like the involved people yeah. would would pressure like you can't come from somewhere else in the world and try to give a tour here this we're here we were in it my father's what died my mom was shot my you know whatever like i I guess it i mean it it makes sense but i don't know what you make of coincidence but it's interesting to me that effie who i just accidentally ran into outside the view and chatted up um she's the one who recommended this guy and he said that I don't usually talk about personal things, you know. I usually just talk about what you're talking about, like the history of the area and all that stuff. So uh, he opened up to us about all that personal stuff, but he says he usually doesn't do that. So so it wasn't because Effie got all that personal inside poop that she recommended him, just because he was very informed, I guess. But anyway, that was to our great advantage and certainly made it And it'd be interesting to take a tour with someone who was Protestant and was there at the time. Mm-hmm. And yes. then I assume what you would get is a very different take on the tour where they would be focusing on, you know, the British Army is doing its best to um, resolve a situation that's out of control and London needs to step in. London politicians are, you know, this is, we, we have to do something. How can we help? We're here to help. Here we are helping, right? And look at these pictures of. I mean, he, he showed he showed us photos of the British Army came in, and they had machine guns freaking everywhere. And the women came out and were giving them tea and biscuits, and because people wanted them there, 
at first. At first, everybody wanted him there. And then they did horrific shit, and that turned hundreds of thousands of people instantly against the British Army. And they started killing the British Army. But it'd, it'd be interesting to see a tour. It'd be interesting to see... Like, like I think I have a better background now where I could try to watch a, a debate sort of format, right? Where two or more people are having a conversation about the history from a biased perspective, from their biased perspective. Like, this is what happened. This is what happened. The problem with what he just said is that he downplayed the fact that all this happened. You know, yes, yes, you're right. But the worse atrocity of that was this thing, right? Yes, this did happen. Or no, that never happened. You know, that, that kind of conversation... You know, maybe I've had, but I mean, I'm sure historians spend decades trying to understand what the hell happened. And then everybody that experienced it, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people that are still alive today, that experienced some aspect of it directly, their direct experience is going to far outweigh anything a historian says about what happened on that day. Well, what happened on that day is that the fucking firebomb flew through my front window. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting that you guys are doing that while I'm reading this field guide to nonviolence because that's one of the points that I read this morning. You know, one of one of the great flaws in the effort toward nonviolence is that you you grab a perspective and you ignore the other perspective. If you're if you're gonna move genuinely toward nonviolence you must be inclusive of the perspectives and the experiences. Yeah, that's hard work. Okay, so did we find a place to do search out some Celtic jewelry? Um, Brad's identified two places. Okay, that was a rather brief, uh, abrupt ending. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so the episode is now over. What they were talking about is it was my parents' 50th wedding anniversary, so they did a little ceremony on the uh, two-penny Farling Bridge. Two-Farling Penny Bridge? I can't remember. Um, I should look all these things up and be a better podcast host, but I'm not. So anyway, the reason they were talking about that was for this really cool ceremony they did where they were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. So, okay, well, I hope you got something interesting out of that episode, and thank you for hanging out. And this uh, wraps up episode 41 of J. Flaunce's Ignorance. Join us next time uh, for another riveting episode. Bye.